Welcome to the first FTTV podcast for 2024. It is George with the JD today. Uh, on the agenda, a lot to discuss. We have, we're going to discuss what we hope the rules will be or the trades and boosts. We'll discuss that. The buys, how they affect how we pick our players. I've done a bit of a, a survey t- tallying up Discord ownership and we'll also go through each line and some preseason updates about who's burning up the track. I know JD will have all the Essendon players reeling off in no time. Jackson, how are you? Uh, I'm doing very well, thanks, George. Yep, get, got back into the, the work here and all that type of stuff. But before we jump into the football, you mentioned each line. And the line that I'm getting asked most about this preseason on my YouTube, of all things which is strange, is your hairline. So the people want to know what's oh, going on no. up top. I got asked if it was a romper stumper look, which is like a old skinhead reference. What's what's going on, George? How's oh, things traveling? Oh my goodness! I've got. I was hoping to talk. Here's start. the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> I wanted to go straight into footy because wasn't too keen to discuss off season, but I had a bit of um, work we, we done can. on the hair. You can save yourself. Hair, you will not see. The, I did it. I took the hat off for one episode of one YouTube, but. It is uh, still growing, mostly in the frontal area. It's um, yeah. Uh, didn't go to Turkey. Went to Sydney because of the war near Turkey at the moment. But yeah, a lot of people seem to be doing it these days. Bowling at twenty nine isn't great, but um, I was. Uh, I can tell you about the day if you like. You can start off with that. I want to know why you kept, well, like you came to Sydney and didn't mention anything to me. That's, I, that's uh, the thing I most heard about. One of my best, probably top two, top three best mates is from Sydney, is living in Sydney right now. And yeah. I didn't even yeah, tell me. him. I was not, yeah, you too, but <laughs> uh, I uh, I did not say a word. I did not tell anyone. The only person who knew was one friend and because uh, he kind of got it out of me and my boss at work because I had to tell him that I was going. So that was pretty much it. But I'll tell you what happened on the day if you like. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can, yeah. You can just, skip the next. Interest, is this an interesting story <laughs> you can skip or like the, we just keep moving? Uh, sort of. Uh, you can skip the next minute if you want, but yeah, uh, no joke. So I remember getting there on the day, 7.30 a.m. It's like an eight-hour surgery. And then, um, yeah, the doctor was basically like, you know what I'm like with pharmaceuticals, but like, I was pretty stressed, pretty on edge. And he was like, all right, Jordan, I need, a, I need you to take this antibiotic and sedation medication. And it's like, yeah, it's very important. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not taking it. He's like, well, you need to take it. I'm like, I don't want to take it. I'll be fine. So I didn't take it. Uh, so he, the doctor was a little bit worried about that. Um, and then the nurse or the dude that was like plucking the hair follicles out, he's like, it's pretty chill. Basically, the first four hours, just listen to music and lay down as they like. What was the go-to music? Did you get to pick or did they well, have something like that for you? The guy, I was pretty nervous. I was just like, just play whatever, man. And he's like, um, he's a bit of a feminine dude. Really nice guy, but bit feminine and he's like oh if you don't pick anything you know we're listening to britney spears for the next four hours so i was like okay <laughs> i was like okay we're listening to just put some r&b on please <laughs> so <laughs> with uh just some r&b playlist a bit of craig david which i was happy with so that was the first four hours and then the next four hours like you have lunch i didn't eat lunch i was too nervous to eat and then next four hours i watched seinfeld for four hours as they did the other um because they take their hair from the back and put yeah, it on top yeah, yeah. so on top, that was yeah. pretty much it and then, yeah, the probably last thing was I needed to sleep. I did not sleep. I slept about six hours over three days um, just because of the positions you have to sleep in. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty bad. I needed a head pillow. Well, you know, like the traveler pillows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was in Bondi Junction um, 
like there's a massive Westfield there, like eight stories high. There is. I looked yeah. through the entire place. You couldn't find any travel merch. Not one. I found one, and it was a kid's one, and it was like like a unicorn. <laughs> it was like it was like this big, and like I had to. I was gonna put it on the plane. I was too embarrassed to bring it out when I was on the plane, mm-hmm. so I just like leaned forward for two hours on the way home. And did they have your head oh, like bandaged up like a mummy as well? Yeah, dude. People were looking at me weird and stuff. I was like, just yeah. get me to the hotel and lock the door. Anyway, that's enough on that. We got to talk super coach, but um. Yeah, this is this is the real journey people want to hear about this year. We'll be checking yeah. in, no doubt, as the year goes on. But uh, where did you want to head first? Do you want to talk a little bit about the rules? Uh, yes. So uh, the rules should come out next week in terms of how many boosts and trades. I'm probably expecting the same thing. I don't know, but look so for 36 me. Thirty-six trades, up, five boosts. Yes. Uh, for me, well, I'll start with you. What do you? Th- what would you like to see? Um, any? Would you like to see any changes, or are you happy with how it is? Yeah, I can't remember if I ever made a video about this or if I just ranted on Twitter or podcast or something like that. But I found we converged too quickly to a meta last year, which was basically just use all the boosts really aggressively, use all the extra trades aggressively, uh, and then try and coast to the end, which isn't a really fun way to play the game, but is the kind of optimal way to win overall if you're going to have a shot at it. So for me, I wanted to bring in some way to stage gate either the trades or the boosts or preferably both. So they kind of slowly release throughout the year. So you might have 10 trades for the first six weeks then you get another 10 released in the next week, something like that, or, you know, do 12, 12, 12, um, just so it meant that people had to ration things and kind of allocate the resource a little bit better. I, I don't think a change like that is going to be brought in the same year that we've got to adjust to round zero and, and the different changes. The only question for me, I think, is whether they add trades i don't see them taking them away uh so i would imagine there is some discussion around do we add them for the buy rounds early on i don't think so i think they'll just run it as probably what's happened with fantasy which is best 18 uh, and no extra boosts or trades to accommodate or navigate those buys but we'll see maybe maybe we get a little bit of a surprise there i'm somewhat disappointed it feels like both the formats will end up with the same answer which yeah, I like, would have liked to have seen more differentiation and, and different approaches so we could try different things, but I, I feel like it's going to end up very same-same. But your your take is that we've got too many trades, too many boosts in Supercoach, so what would you like to see different? Yeah, I just think back to 2020, 2021, even 2019, like, yeah, all those years had 30 trades. I know way before then there was like 24 and 20, but 30 felt right in the, um, this day and age. Just... It, w- it used to be really hard to get mids in, and now it's just it's too easy because mm-hmm. you got three trades. You just double mm-hmm. down 300k, put another 300k on top of another 300k rookie, bang, you got 600k mid. You can do that week in week out for the first few rounds. So it used to be quite hard to do that, and it just feels very fantasy on roids where you like fantasy tactics are the way now. Mm-hmm. You know, hunt, hunt value is that you know maybe a couple fair price players, uh, overpriced players, big no no. So unless it's like maybe like a ruck or like you know Gorn back in the day, Gorn Grundy sort of thing. So it's pretty tough uh, from that point of view. So yeah, it just feels the game feels a little bit easy. Not mm-hmm. it's, everyone's on like it's still you know there's a lot of good plays out there. It's still hard to win, but it's just easier to get the plays you want in. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why I think boosts are good because boosts are like part of the brand of Supercoach. I think they did a good job adding that sort of strategy to the game. I just think five is too much because we only really trade. We only need boosts from rounds two to say 11. 
Mm-hmm. 12, you get the buy rounds. So five out of 10 weeks, you're just boosting. So it's like you're almost on like unlimited trades on roids basically. Because it's you can, I, I don't think I saved a single trade, maybe one or two before the buys. I still finished a team. Although I had Keys and Hobbs rotating at, um, <laughs> at M8, I think, which was pretty bad. But um, still, I think it's, you know, I played BBL this year, which I enjoyed. And they had two boosts in nine rounds. And I had to actually think about boosting. Like, do I boost here? Do I, I had to plan it out. Um, like, I'm not, I didn't want to use them straight away. Reason Supercoach is just like, well, I'm going to, I just need to use them all by round 11 anyway. So I'm just going to boost, boost, not stop. So there's no thought process. It's just, I need a boost. Okay, I'll boost. Not, yeah. do I need a boost for later? So that's my logic for there. But that's what I'd like to see. Unless trades, I guess, but uh, it's yeah, kind of hard for them to take it away. But just as, you know, um, we played AFLW Fantasy. You did very well. Um, I didn't do as well as you, but I did okay. And we saw that, you know, if you had a good starting team, the prices changed massively mm-hmm. and you got rewarded for your round one picks. Whereas in Supercoach now, you can just boost out of your bad picks and use nine trades in three weeks and your team's fixed. Whereas yep. in AFLW Fantasy, you know, there wasn't that, you know, you got rewarded for your preseason research a bit more. Yep. That's my I think I, AFLW Fantasy was probably the other extreme where it was too rewarding for having a good starting team and it felt really unfair for anyone that missed that stuff just because prices went against you so quickly. But I, I do feel like, especially with the um, introduction of round zero and getting eight teams kind of research free, that we're moving away from... Uh, pre-season and actually having a good starting side being as important, or at least it's easier to do, which is a bit of a shame because it's, I think one of the most fun parts of the game is spending this time in the pre-season researching and tinkering and all that type of stuff. So yeah, a bit of a shame that we're, we're losing it in some regard. Yeah, but we'll find out and then we'll adjust to see what they do. But I think they've done a good job over the past few years um, with all the changes, but mm. um, the buy rounds are an interesting one. I put out a tweet, the other day, maybe yesterday, that was about, you know, what mids are we starting? Because there's a lot have the buy, a lot are overpriced. Um, so the buy rounds, are, do you currently have any players that have the buy? And is it heavily affecting the way you pick players? So it is definitely affecting the way I pick players, uh, for sure. Because I think there's a cap to how many you can have in there um, reasonably, or it makes sense to. Um, hold on. You're trying to bring up my team to actually see how many I've got in there. I haven't counted them in a little while because there's still a bit to shake out. Uh, but I know there's some like, so I think like the way I'm kind of thinking about it is anyone that's really good value. So whether that's rookies, mid prices or discounted or value premiums, uh, I'll probably try and take as many of those as I can. Anyone that's kind of at fair value, I'm probably going to pass on. Uh, just because you can get other at fair value mids that don't have the buy. So it does, kind of doesn't make much sense to take them. Uh, so someone like Walsh is an example of a discounted primo that I, I quite like and I might try and start. I think the other one that could fall into that category pretty reasonably is Tom Green or even um, Took Miller if he looks good. Uh, but then, yeah, like I, I wouldn't pay for anyone at fair price. And I think, uh, you know, the, the one where that's probably the trickiest to discuss is Dacos, where he probably should be D1 pretty easily again. He's going to be a captain option, but has that early buy. Um, if he ends up averaging what you pay for, it doesn't make sense to, to start him and all that type of stuff. Uh, but yeah, what, what, what about you? How are you thinking about this at the moment? Slightly separate topic, just on because uh, we've um, just to discuss fantasy for a second. Um, I think Dacos, people will start Dacos 
and then round four, Finn Mag will be named. Then he's got mm-hmm. the buy. I think people might jump off him then. But I don't think you can do that in Supercoach. I don't think we have the we should be trading like that in Supercoach. But anyway, that's another point. But I think the way, yeah, similar opinion opinion to you. If they're underpriced and they have the buyer, I think it's okay because you get you get to put that money elsewhere. Whereas fair value, it's really hard to start. Um, I'm still in the near. There's a Dacos. Well, Dacos technically he's probably going to outdo his price. So do you go there? So I think anyone you think is underpriced, that's a buyer thing is fine. I mean, fair he's one's 116 average in his second year, and to say that he's going to out average that is like crazy. I think he will. Yeah, I mean, if he does, like half the year, yeah, yeah, has the injury game, more midfield time. I mean, I think the only offset is whether he gets more attention this year from other teams, but we'll see. I'm not afraid to start the value in Grundy, Gorn, and Flanders. Those three haven't moved. Mm-hmm. I've thought about Cherry in the ruck. Honestly, I have nightmares from not starting Gorn a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. I think I went nice with that. Was a d- catastrophe. Gorn's a bit older now, but. You just worry about that ceiling that he has. Um, so those three, I'm not afraid to start. Especially, I think uh, English has got his issues. We'll talk about that later. And then so does uh, Rowan's an injury in the rehab group too. So I think it's pretty straightforward. You pick from those three, I guess. Unless I'm missing somebody. And then it comes to yeah, Sam Walsh. I don't think I'll pick Walsh. Also have bad memories of owning him, but different story this year, different preseason. Dacos, I'm... I've actually taken him out. My first opinion, my first thought was, oh, it's Nick Dacos. I don't care. I will put him in. But then it's like, am I picking Sicily or Stewart over Dacos with no buyer? Uh, maybe. I think so. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah, Flanders, Grundy, Gorn, I'll start. I'm quite hesitant to start anyone else, to be honest. Maybe Tom Green, but yeah, he's got a really bad buy because he shares with Flanders. So if you have a player that shares a buy with another buy player that you have, I think that's when you're, you can really risk leaking a lot of points there, so that makes it me very. That makes it very hard to start Green and Flanders, but I'll give priority yeah. to Flanders. I, I think it's even worse when they're on the same line as well. So, for example, if you had um, Flanders and Miller, it's probably not that bad because they're on separate lines. I get the next best midfielder and next best forward rookies that I can loop. But if I have Miller and Green, for example, that share the same buy, and now I've got a field to like you know the next two rookies off my bench. I can only loop for one of them. That ends up getting pretty bad pretty quickly. So yeah, you might be comfortable taking two off in a round of these value primo type guys, but I would say that's only the case if they're on separate lines. The one I struggle with um, on Gorn a little bit, and and even with Grundy to a certain extent, is whether or not we get a playing R three. Um, rookie because if not you don't get a, a extra rookie score on the field you're just going straight down to 21 uh so yeah that's that's one thing to think about but yeah there's i think there's still a lot to play out the other thing that's going to determine this ultimately is how good some of these players look like in round zero and what roles they're getting if tom green for example comes out and has a 140 and he's playing an extra 10 percent cbas and he's got an extra five percent time on ground to what he's had in the last year it's going to be very hard not to pick someone like that because actually maybe there is five to 10 points of upside at his price. So I think that's the, we can kind of play around with theoretically what we'd like to do, but round zero is going to throw a whole bunch of spanners in the works. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Tom Green did, he scored a 160, I reckon in round one a few years ago. Looked like he arrived, slowed down, but yeah, broke out the year after. 
So it'll be interesting if that sort of stuff happens, even like at Errol Gordon, but yeah, it's pretty tough with the bias. So I'll try not to be too tempted and sway around from round zero, but um, we'll see. More looking for probably like the roles of some plays, like the CBAs for Sydney and Gold Coast and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll, um, yeah, it's an interesting I, one. Yeah. I'm very happy to react to round zero as long as it's for the right reasons. Like, you know, if you'd watched, um, say, Tanner Bruin of last year in round zero, and you're like, oh, don't overreact. Things will improve. Like, you're a fool. You should have, like, after round one, it was pretty obvious they weren't going to give him the time on ground or enough CBAs, and jumping off him made sense. So I would imagine that being reactive in round zero is right, but it's because you should be looking for the right roles, CBAs, time on ground yeah. that you had them pegged for. And if it's not what you expected, don't just magically believe it'll fix itself around round one, round one, jump off them. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's, yeah. Yep, as I've accidentally closed this sheet. Actually, never mind. Oh, excellent. Okay. So next thing you were going to go through was Discord ownership. Yes, Discord ownership. Very good. Um, so I'm going to read out a few numbers and tell me what Hold you on. think. Whether so it's... what is Discord ownership? We polled oh, yes. the FTTV Discord. And when I say we, Royal We, George polled the Discord no. on what players are in people's teams. We don't really have ownership percentage or anything like that with the current team picker, but just to get a, a feel for those that are more into Supercoach, what's the ownership looking like at this point in the preseason? Now, of course, it's very heavily skewed to the, uh, what's it called? Think tank, group think that's happening within the Discord. So I'm sure this isn't representative of the wider community, but at least gives us a starting point for what are the types of players people are thinking about and discounting at this point in the preseason. Yes, so roughly we got between... 100 and 110 responses each some people didn't answer exactly uh, didn't answer every single response like i asked but nonetheless uh, we get a rough estimate of how many people own out of say an average of 105. so start with the big three in defense um what would you guess nick daycross sicily and stewart's ownership would be uh i'd go maybe like 50 percent for each so daycross is in 61 percent Sicily 76, Stuart oh. 60. Okay. I only have one of those three as it currently stands. That's pretty crazy to me. The most owned was Hayden Young in 95%. Good Discord. They've been listening. So, oh, yeah. and then Zach Williams is 94%. Yep. So everyone has him. There's I mean, a lot I of, feel like yeah. if you don't have Zach Williams as a placeholder, you're just trying to be edgy, right? Or like, yeah. Or you really, really don't want the pick to work. Even I've got him and I don't want to, don't want him, but yeah, he's too cheap. And then like, I'm not going to read like the 1%, like for example, like a Himmelberg's in 1%, like a Witherden's in 2%. So I'm not going to read those. And you didn't poll rookies, ones. right? There's no rookies. That, uh, so I, I should have say everyone above Harley Reid's price. Yeah. Okay. Which is why I mentioned Williams. So a few interesting ones, a little bit on Cheezle, just the 19%. I guess we're waiting for the role. Some people are not interested at all because the role can change during the year. I get that. I think uh, we're going to go through preseason reports in a second for what's the latest on these players. But Sheasel is one of those ones that has notes against him where the talk of him moving more up the ground and coming away from that halfback role as some of the other players from North's um, team trains in defense has probably scared a lot of us off. I was someone that was on Sheasel, but it sounds like he's yeah going to be playing more on or forward of the ball than what we've seen in the last year. So I, I understand why people have been starting to fade that pick. Yeah, I'm very intrigued and can't put my finger on exactly how it's going to go, but I do have a feeling he could go nuts this year. Anyway, uh, moving on, 
Uh, Heath Chapman's in 23%, which is pretty good. I know you're big on Chapman. Yep, he's in my side he's, at the moment. I'm considering him. I, I didn't like him at first, but I think I don't mind him doing a bit of halfback work, but it'd be interesting because we know, I think you, you mentioned before, like Liam Henry scored well on a wing. And if Chapman's mm-hmm. playing wing, then maybe he can score well too. Um, but also a bit of halfback work. The other stat that I posted somewhere is if you look at those Freo defenders, a lot of them had career years last year. So Luke Ryan, Hayden Young, and Brennan Cox all um, posted career best averages. And I believe Jordan Clark had his second best year as well. So everyone in defense scored well. Henry had his best year on the wing and scored amazingly towards the end. Seems to be a lot of points going around there at the moment. So if uh, Chapman comes in after a few very injury-affected years and gets that role, I am definitely interested. I'll be keeping a close eye on him in the preseason. Yeah, and probably the only two of note are Sinclair and Ridley in uh, Ridley in nine percent, Sinclair in ten percent. Seems about right. Um, not really interested in Ridley. I've, it's been a tough ride, but gee, when he's on, he's unbelievable. But yeah, just doesn't seem to do it for a full season. And then Sinclair, I think they've got the Marvel run coming up uh, later in the year. So also Geelong in Geelong round one isn't great for outside types. So. That is that. We can move on to the midfield. I actually, so I wanted to pose a question oh, to yeah. defense then, just Sorry, as a whole, it. and how you're thinking about it. So, from what we heard there, it sounds like basically three premiums, top end premiums are kind of what people are uh, lining up with. So, Young and then two of uh, Dacos, Stuart, Sicily. And I've been wondering about this because it does very much feel like that we've got you know, four or five guys from last year that finished up the top, especially, you know, Dacos, Sisley, Stewart, that seem like they're going to be there next year. You've got Young as the obvious breakout contender. Is there any point looking for mid-price guys, either, you know, in defense or we'll talk about maybe some of the midfielders that could become defenders or is feel like a bit of a wasted effort because they're really not going to push into the top six with a lot of these already high-scoring defenders in their prime um, and, and, you know, reasonably should push out more good scores this year. Interesting point you make. I think it depends on, it might depend a bit on the quality of the rookies because mm-hmm. I can see a lot of potentially good rookies. I don't, doesn't mean they mm-hmm. will be good, but there's potential there. Like a Nick Coffield has done yep. 75 plus in the past. What does he look like? I'd like to see it first. Marty Horsback leading intercept in the VFL. Uh, Gibkiss might get a third tall role, not too sure. Dan Curtin put up good numbers in under-18s. So there's a bit to play out. Got, yeah, yeah Pink, you Pink, Pink, Pink as well. Um, Zach Reed should finally get a run at it this year if his body holds up. There's, yeah. And I'm sure we're missing one or two others as well. It feels like there's a fair few options back there, doesn't it? Yeah, even maybe O'Sullivan from uh, Geelong. Looks like a good prospect, but... Yeah. Oh, and um, D'Ambrosio, who might get a wing spot at the Hawks. He's, I mean, he's more like 224K, but that's another value. Yeah. And then you've got, of course, Williams and Chapman that we've already touched on. So, yeah, I think that's the one part that's hard. I could see a lot of the best rookies uh, in cash gen coming out of that line as well. Yeah, apart from maybe a young Ridley and Sheasel, could be sort of a dead zone between 600 below and like a Chapman. So, yeah, for yeah. me, I'm very much a guns and rookies. Maybe... Like, do you even call like Chapman a? He's almost a rookie. Yeah, he's a mid price, but he's, too, he's closer to a, yeah, like a rookie yeah, yeah. price than a yeah. 400 range. So, yeah. yeah, it's very much go close to the bottom, go right to the top for me in defense. Okay, cool. 
All right, moving on to the midfield. Want to guess, have a guess at who the highest owned uh, midfielder is. Oh, I had not thought about this. Uh, I'll go Butters. By a mile, it is Zach Butters at yeah, let's go. 95%. Whoa, that's is that more than like Williams, you said? And Young even? Same as Young. That's nuts. So, yeah. Okay. They got no, he's he's a good pick, but I don't think he's a 95% ownership. Yeah. But hey. I think the buy has a bit to yeah, say there in his finish to the year. And a bit of room for CBA growth as well, doing the 61%. Who doesn't know right. butters? So there's probably a clear top four here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll get you to guess again. All right. Uh, the next four. Sorry, the next three to make up four. Okay, so I will add in. I'm just going to guess them straight out, and you can tell me where 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 I stuffed up. So I'm going to go Brayshaw and Walsh are still popular, and then maybe Green as well. Oh, actually, no, people are going to pick Bont, haven't they? Uh, so maybe I'll go. It's Butters, Bont, Brayshaw, and Walsh. Close. You'll be pleased to say that Bont is only 19% owned in the oh, Discord. Oh, good, good. Yep. Uh, I'm very pleased on that. <laughs> Um, and he's at 69%, which is pretty high, which is interesting because I think Sarong's a bit more secure with the CBAs. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I listen to Maria's Magic's podcast and they seem to think that he'd be better off spending a bit of time on the wing. They've got Young Pretty in there. Sure. Yeah. Mm. Where I does still their, think get good. Yeah, where does their speed and outside run come from if it's not Brayshaw then? I don't know. Sharp. No, not like it in the center rotation because oh. so. Sarong's not uh, exactly dynamic and Young I, I, I don't find him particularly explosive or yeah I don't know okay I'm, I'm, I haven't listened to Selby's latest yet so I'm oh, keen to came out today that's gym gym session tomorrow but I think he'll be I still think he'll get ample CBAs but you know mm-hmm. slight drop maybe still got like okay. they got Young and Sarong and Amira who shouldn't be playing but whatever yeah, yeah. so yeah Brayshaw is 69% Walsh is 60% and the next one is LDU at 56%. Yeah. So okay, so so far, LDU. this is my midfield so far. Butters, LDU, Brayshaw is like, my, yeah, first three picks, my midfield. So then there's a bit of a drop-off. A little bit of uh, Jordan Dawson at 28%. Mm-hmm. Um, Tuke Miller, 22%. Steele, 20%. A few believers still there. And then we get to the glorious... 490k zone of Matt Crouch yes. and Amon. So hang on, have a stab yes. at these two. How much is how many teams is Amon in, or as a percent? And and Matt Crouch. I'm guessing Crouch. You've convinced 60% of the Discord to pick him, and Amon is probably still sitting in like maybe a quarter of teams, 25%. I wish I was that influential, but <laughs> Crouch is in 30% of teams. Amon's in 31% of teams. So oh, wow. Okay. It's very, very close. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so, yeah, a question for you is, I mean, there's a third name that's popped up and probably wasn't as popular at, at the time, um, which is Nick Barton, and he's also a similar price. How many of these guys do you think you can reasonably start in Amon, Martin, Crouch, around that price price mark? Is two too many? I don't have enough data on or any data on Martin aside from the training session. Mm-hmm. But, but I think I think you can run two because Crouch is quite cheap and he did 108 last year. Yep. And Amon did 
I keep forgetting it's either 106 or 108 with Sicily in the side once yeah. Amon started getting kick-ins. So uh, if you can see, like, Crudge could be a cheap M8 or a buy flip because he's the last buy, and Amon you're picking as a keeper. Obviously, you want him to hold the role. Um, I think you could go two. If they're all value, then I don't see why you couldn't go all three. Mm-hmm. I think two feels like you're hedging a little bit more in terms of like th- going all three might be a risk because right. there's a reasonable chance that Martin loses the role. Maybe Amon does. I don't think he will, but it could happen. In games with kick-ins, Amon averaged 107 or six games. Okay, I think Sicily missed one of them. He did. And so taking that one out, it's even a higher average. It's 109, I think. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I'm a believer in the Amon pick and the Crouch pick. So I have both, but I don't have enough like mm-hmm. to work with, with Martin yet. But he, he seems like the type to rack up, no problem. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm just looking at other stats. Is there anything else standing out? Laird's in 11%, Petrarca's in 8%, and Tom Green's quite low. He's in 19%, Sarong 15 Gordon in 6 and then everyone else is below 5%. Did you poll any of the guys in the 300k range? So I'm thinking um, Paddy Dow, yes. Sheldrick, not, not popular. Okay. So I did not do Paddy Dow. I did Wardlaw and Probably Sheldrick. for good reason. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So Wardlaw's in three teams. Yep. 3%. And Sheldrick's in fans one. Showing up. Sheldrick's oh. in one. And it's in my team <laughs> at the yeah. moment. I'm a Sheldrick lover. I had. I went down. I went down to twelve premiums, and I had no. I didn't know where to spend money, so it's sort of a placeholder at this stage. But when you look at the numbers and the tog, it's pretty crazy what he could do. Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is what he could do, not what he will do. So he's points per minute zero. Insane. It just depends on whether he gets a proper CBA role, and it's harder to see with Adams coming into the side. But as you mentioned, round zero. Let's go. Okay, moving on to the rocks. Grundy's, I'm not going to bother asking you who the most is, but Grundy's yeah, at 98, 98%. Okay. Only yeah. two people without. And then the next is obviously Gorn, Gorn at 70%. A few cherry owners, 16%. Let's go. And, then the rest, and just 8% in Marshall, 9% in English. Mm-hmm. Probably not, not too many surprising things there. It's hard to. St- I know English had interrupted preseason last year, but I think with the news that Lob could spend a bit more time in there, and the whole concussion lingering, I don't feel safe starting him at all, especially at that price. And then Marshall's in the rehab group too. He could be an alternative to Gorn, um, given he has no buy. Probably out averages gone for the year, I think. Does he? Who do you think averages more to uh, Gorn and Marshall? I would have Marshall ahead probably, especially with durability coming into play. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the Rux is very much a do you go Cherry or Gorn? I feel like people going down that, making that decision. Again, I said at the start of the podcast, I'm uh, petrified of going without Gorn after what happened last time when I went without him. So, but Cherry doesn't have the buy and Solo Ruck. And his numbers, when you scale up his CBA, is actually not too bad. 
you're a cherry man at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, I do have cherry in the side at the moment. Uh, I mean, obviously the injury stuff from last year is a risk, but yeah, spot on with the when he was getting CBAs or his lead ruck, he scored very well. I think there's a lot of upside at his price. The question is whether there's enough upside to go him over Gorn, especially given that Gorn is probably going to be a keeper at his price, but Cherry may require another upgrade still. So, yeah, you may get a bit of extra value out of Cherry potentially, but if it means an extra trade at some point in the year, should you have just started Gorn? And that's what I still need to grapple with and answer myself before I lock in a side. But once again, round zero, free look at uh, Gorn and Grundy. That'll go a long way in helping make these decisions for me, which, as I mentioned, strips the fun out of the game a little bit, but it is what it is. Yeah. We'll go to the forwards now. I'll just get you to guess two players. So actually, I'll ask you first. Who's Flanders? Found? Flanders, 98% or 95% or 90%. Okay, yeah, Flanders, 96%. Yeah, all right. Uh, and then McRae makes sense as the next pick. And I'm guessing it's probably, I don't know some people aren't into him as much. I'll, I'll go like 85%, something like yeah. that. 84. Yeah. And then Billings is in 76%. Mm-hmm. And I feel a little bit sick looking at this, but guess what Fisher's ownership is? 60%. It's 48. Oh, that's kind of lower than what I thought. It's higher than what I thought. Mm. I've dropped Fisher for now. Uh, I'm a bit worried about what happens long-term with him. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably not going to start him, but the role looks glorious, but we'll see. Anything to add on Fisher? No, it's a placeholder pick. If he gets the role, then I'm willing to take a dip. If he doesn't, I'll move on pretty quickly. I'm not wedded to it. Yep. Everyone else's ownership is pretty insignificant above the Harley Reid price, but do you want to guess Taylor Adams' ownership? I hope it's less like single digits. I hope it's done 10%. It is 2%. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Which is sort of surprising. I thought a few would go down that route, and I'm I've ruled him out for myself, but... I think there's a world where he's a decent pick, but I will not go there. Yeah. I mean, I, I have a feeling people are just putting in placeholder picks at the moment for forward line anyway until we see more in the preseason. You know, even like McRae, Fisher, Billings, all these guys, it depends on what we hear from between now and round one and whether or not we get other guys popping up that potentially have good roles. Uh, like, for example, we heard a little bit of Fife in the midfield. That's a little bit of fun chatter. Um, there's been rumors about whether Baker plays in the midfield. So, you know, there's a few guys like this that could pop up and earn spots on our side. Uh, so, um, yeah, it, it feels like most of the forward line is just placeholders for now. Yes, we'll find out a bit more. I forgot to uh, mention this guy, but can you shed any light on the, uh, what's the word, viability of picking Elijah Sardis? Is it too early to tell that or what do you think? Yeah, this is interesting. I have a feeling it's going to be more like a fantasy pick than a super coach pick. The challenge is I still don't know what his role will be. I have a feeling he won't get enough CBAs unless we see more injuries. Shield out to start the year is obviously going to help a little bit. The main knock on him in the preseason so far has been around his kicking. He spent a lot of time dedicated to improving that. Will he uh, outdo what he's priced at? Absolutely. The 250K marks, what very cheap it's... Uh, like 45 average or something like that. Uh, so he he will definitely outdo that. Can he get up to like that 80, 85 mark? I'm not sure. But if he does, that would put him near top six, right? You'd be able to hold him most of the year for 
250k, which would be a nice investment. So he's a wait and see. I'm I'm not sold he's going to be a pick though. I have a feeling he ends up with a pretty average half forward role rather than getting enough mid time. Yep. I'm keen to find out. Uh, sounds like he's a very hard worker. So always interested when he gets singled out like that. I know Merritt was said he could surprise a few. So I am definitely keeping a, a close eye on Sardis. Now we can move to the next topic. Um, so we've got preseason reports or we can go through each line briefly. Just like we can go through each line, uh, just general thoughts on say like defenders, like what are you struggling with? Um, you know, are you set on a certain structure, that sort of thing? Or anything you want to add to the defense line, we'll start off with. So defense, you look at your defense, yeah. are, you happy, are you happy with it at the moment? Uh, I still got a bit to play out. I mean, I, I think we touched on this already, which is that there's a few big dogs. It doesn't feel like it makes sense to try and pick too many breakouts in this line. And then it's more just a question for me of how many of the cheaper guys I want to pick uh, that will have reasonable job security and, and good cash to make. Uh, and what you know, how the rookies look in other lines and all that type of stuff will play into that. But that's probably the thing I'm grappling with the most. I tend to like the top premiums a little bit less than others. Um, I think some are happy to select them at fair price, but I could see, you know, Cicely Stewart uh, both going backwards this year pretty easily. I could see Dacos going backwards this year as well. So uh, Dacos is probably the one that is less likely, but um, yeah, I'm. I'm feel like I'm less confident in picking those big guys than what others are, which might be the biggest question for me as the season goes on. What, what about yourself? I'm a, yeah, I'm not too, like, defense is whatever for me. I'm quite happy to pick a number of players here. Uh, young, I'll pick. I'll definitely pick two of Cicely, Stewart, Dacos, and then depending on the rookies. If the rookies look really good, I'll load up on them. If not, I'll happily add in all three 650 guys or 630 guys, which is a bit of an overspend. But I I guess you sort of save when you're picking so many base rookies instead of mid-prices like you have in the past. Depends if the the rookies are really good and they can score in line with these mid-prices with a good role, like a Marty Horse should be perfectly fieldable, for example. So that's something I'm monitoring. But yeah, that's just whatever with defense. I'm not stressing over anything. I think last year I was a bit, but this year it's just, yeah, see what the strength looks like and of the rookies and that will determine whether I go heavy or cut back a bit. But I know the defenders I want to pick. So that's the defense. Midfield is very tough. Good news is we got McCurch and Sanders who we should be able to straight field. And then it's uh, a lot of our community is going the Butters and Brayshaw. Obviously, both had the slow starts last year priced into them, which helps. Also, age is, you know, there should be on the upward trajectory. So I've locked in those guys. And then it's whether do you like a a Crouch, Amon, or a Nick Martin, for example. I like Crouch and Amon. And then do you pick a buy player like a Walsh? Do you, you know, is Tom Green too good to pass up for low 600s? Do you pay for Bont? I know you, you won't, but... I look at the other plays and I'm a bit worried about losing points with the buy and yeah, like a few others, like a Zach Merritt tag in round one and a Dawson disposal regression with Crouch. So I'm quite lost on who to pick other than my four of Amon, Crouch, Butters and Brayshaw. So I don't know who my fifth mid will be yet. So that's what I'm kind of deciding at the moment. At the moment, I've got Bond just because I have the money there and I don't know what to do with it. 
to the point where like it paid for like Sheldrick and Sardis with to, uh, 12 hopeful keepers. So, yeah. What are you thinking in the midfield? Yeah, I feel I haven't been that conflicted so far. I feel like it's going to pick itself uh, in some way. So, I, I like the Butters, Brayshaw, Amon, and even Crouch, like I'm fine with all those picks. I feel like they all present reasonable value um, and have good buys. The the value guys that have buys, I'll probably pick one of, but not both in Walsh and Green. If there was no buys, I'd, they'd be probably two of my first pick. Uh, and then really the only other ones for me I'm looking at is LDU, I think has tremendous upside of his price. It's just whether or not you can pick, uh, pick a player that has that type of injury history and the confidence in that. And then Miller and Steele are the other ones that are obviously quite underpriced on what they've done in the past. But uh, I think they're like monitor. Maybe I'm a little bit more interested in Miller than Steele at this point. But yeah, like, those are really the only mids that I'm seriously considering. Almost everyone else I've got a asterisks are aligned through them for one reason or another so yeah I, I don't feel like there's that many that i'm in love with but there's enough there that i'm i can easily fill out six spots feel just mccurcher and sanders and then bench the rest of the rookies yeah i think if i am sort of worried about what i'm going to do i'll probably just default to tom green and just cop the buys mm-hmm. yep. i feel like he'll be top eight with his trajectory and you know, clearly number one man. I think he led the league in contested disposals. Yep. I think. Oh, with North North and West Coast in the first two as well. Yeah. Like you, you get two captain scores that no one else then gets. Like he could price others out pretty quickly. Because players can get away from you pretty quick in the midfield. I think we probably haven't seen massive breakouts in the midfield over the past few years in terms of, like you got to remember 2018, I'll never forget Jack McRae was like a 105, 110 guy and he went 140 for the first eight rounds. You do feel like maybe like an Errol or Green. I don't, I'm not saying they will do that, but you could see them going on a run of something like that. Mm-hmm. You do wonder if anyone does that at the start of the season. And, you know, especially if they have a buy coming up and they've got like a low break even. I still think it's probably too hard to trade in someone right before the buy. You'd have to start them if you're going to pick them at all at that stage of the year. But I do wonder if that sort of happens and throws a bit of a spanner into yep. our plans. So I think that'll be interesting to see. The other thing would be, okay, say we field McCurchant and Sanders. Do we get a decent M8 to field? Like Jeremy Sharp scored okay in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Jai Clark, if he plays, I think he came on as a sub in yep. one game and he had like seven tackles in low tog. So like, does like, can he score? I don't know. So it's something to keep an eye on. Yep. But otherwise, yeah, move to the rucks. I mean, I'm, in that situation, like I'm happier to have one of those guys on my bench. Um, so still have McCurchin and Sanders as the two on-field rookies, have a Clark or a Sharp on the bench, and then knowing that I'm going to have to field some players through buys early on, such as when Walsh is off, know that they're coming on then. So I don't know. I've got some yeah. comfort around being able to do that. You'll be able to loop them as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially Sorry. someone like a Sharp who does seem like a boomer bust type pick. Like being able to look him early seems nice. Yeah, we saw O'Driscoll on a wing probably a few years ago now. Had a few spike games, a few down games yep. too. But if you get the spike game covering Walsh, you're laughing. So moving to the Rucks, uh, I think, yeah, we sort of spoke about this, but I, mean, I don't really have much to add. There's four to consider for me, which is English gone, Grundy, Cherry. 
Uh, I feel like Grundy's the most obvious inclusion at the moment. And then uh, I wouldn't start English at that price. So when there's enough value else, so then it just comes down to Cherry or Gone, I think, for R2. That's really, it's it may be quite simple, but that's how I'm thinking about it at the moment. The only thing I think could throw a spanner in the works is if, uh, is it Conway from um, uh, Geelong yes. takes a, the ruck mantle and Sweet, you know, gets the role oversold for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden you could go like a rookie R2 strategy. But yeah, I, I you know, I, that's a lot of what ifs. Yeah. Jeez, uh, rookie R2. I can see some people pivot like the week leading into round one if they get named and stuff or there's injuries around them. Be interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, I'll go there yeah. though. I mean, if you hear that Gorn's um, had like an abductor issue and Cherry's, I don't know, had a foot flare up, then all and Conway and Sweet are available. I could see people pivoting. You could pair. I could also see flight play. to safety though in English, like they could, yeah, yeah. And if she is a fan, you got the buy rounds to best eighteen to lean on for. Was it round two, three, mm-hmm. two, three, five, six? I think. Yep. Gather around round four. I want to say. But yes, uh, that's the ruck line. And then the forward line, I don't think it's as... Uh, okay, it's pretty bad for the nah, premiums. It's, but, it's dire, man. It's, yeah, it's so bad. bad. It's so bad. Uh, There's no options in here. Even like McCray, I'm a bit iffy on. Yep. I mean, uh, I, like if there were other options, I wouldn't start McCray. I wouldn't even look at him twice. Yeah, like if we had last year, McCray in last year's pool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. Um, I've still got McRae and then mm-hmm. I've got Flanders and then it's Billings and then Rookies. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hopeful we can get like a Finn McRae, a Charlie Lazaro, Sean Manor on the field. If I can get two of those three on the field, that'd be great. Maybe wishful at this point of the year, but it is mid-January. I, so, I think the problem with that is then who ends up being your F8 and F7? Because I, like, I'm not sure the rookie depth seems light on for me in the forward line. Well, I've got yeah. Mana at F6, Lazaro at F7, and Cadman at F8. Oh, boy. Okay, I've got Wilson and Darcy and Wilson in the midfield. Seven and eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think um, bench rookies or whatever. Maybe we'll get some pop-up, don't know, but... Reed, I'm excited about. I, the one question I had for you in the forwards, actually, is, is there a chance that Reed ends up being a keeper? It sounds pretty outlandish, but if he gets the rumored halfback role that we've heard that Chiesel and Dacos have had in a year where the forward line looks historically weak, is there a chance he goes something like 90 and ends up being keeper? Uh, I haven't really seen enough. I just know he's played a bit of halfback in his draft year. That's about it. I think he... Uh, thank you, thank you for like? the... Thanks for uh, your take, George. That was... You know, let us know when you're yes. going to get off the fence, all right? I have no idea. His numbers are not as good as um, Reed, uh, not Reed, McCurcher and Sanders' numbers. Yep. Does he have the outside game of those plays? Doesn't seem like it, but different type of player. I don't know what his numbers are at halfback. Can you rack it up? I mean, they're kind of screaming out for a halfback. They've been playing with them, um, you're easing Hoff into it. Jermaine Jones, like, who's a halfback? Yeah, Duggan, bit of midfield time, bit of halfback. Kick-ins, lots of ball will be down there. I'd be shocked if they finished anywhere above 18th. Uh, maybe they give him kick-ins. Is he a good kick? I wouldn't have a clue. So I just sit on the fence. I think he does like 80 to 85. 
Do you think he can be a keeper? Yeah, I think there's a like outside chance he can be a keeper. I, I wouldn't, you know, it's the same thing with like Sheasel and Dacos. I'd bet against it, but I would have been, well, I was wrong with Sheasel for sure. So there's a chance that um, Reed ends up being a keeper, which is really funny if this is the template going forward. Can you imagine if like Walsh in his draft year got that Dacos role? He would have gone insane. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's fun to think about. Yeah, yeah. Also, I just thought I had Silas in the team. I turned him into Sheldrick. I forgot about that, but that's all good. Uh, do, you, do you know who I've got at F4 at the moment? It's a forbidden player. There's no way you even polled. If he starts with Nathaniel. <laughs> he does. We've got oh, no. Dying. Oh. He's cutting through sides and he's made it to F4. If Yo was any cheaper, I would have put him back through. Run it back. My old favorite WA mids. I love both of them. They're injury prone as all, but Fife, rumors he's playing in the midfield. That's enough. I just need one rumor that there's a sniff of a CBA and he's back into my team. Are you being serious? Oh, he's in at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. If he survives the preseason and he's got a CBA role at 280K, I think I'd be crazy not to take the punt on him. Yeah. That's, that's me over, all over. Well, at least he's uh, last year, he was going to be a forward. Round one happened, disaster. At least this year, he's actually planning to be a midfielder, but... Yep. Gee, I don't like the odds of him staying in the park. At least he's cheap straight about. <laughs> he had one game with over 80% time on ground last year. He scored... Oh, he had 54 CBA, 54% CBAs in it, and he scored a 96 in Supercoach. What amazing value. Don't ask me about the other, like, 10 games he played, but in that one game... Wow. I just need six, seven of those from five. He's got the good buy... We love a good buy. He's going to have uh, 10 buys in the year, mate. <laughs> That's all right. Once I trade him out, he can have the rest of the season off. Maybe you can just keep him and when he comes back, let him sit on the bench for a couple of weeks and when he comes back, play him on the field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's those plays. So last two things to go over, preseason reports. I'm just going to read out basically what I've read on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think most of this stuff is official. Like actual journalist reporting, not big footy. I think, well, big, big but we'll go through. It. Good as source, they do the same thing that the reporters do. They go to the game and watch. And actually, um, I've noticed that sometimes reporters get the names wrongs of players because they're wearing different jerseys numbers or they're not familiar with them. Whereas the big footy diehards, they get that stuff right. So don't knock on the big footy preseason reports. The only thing that they get fall into the trap on. And there are particular boards <coughs> north <coughs> where it oh, sounds boy. like every player is like they're going to be a premiership side. It's just not the case. There's no negatives. Everyone's looking 10 out of 10, mint, taking it to the next level. Um, so that's, that's the only problem with Big Footy is that we see our teams in rose-colored glasses and there's no balance. But you, yeah, I feel like they do just as good a job as the reporters this, this time of year. The funny thing is, when I read Essendon's board, I feel like it's very negative. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we've been conditioned for like 20 years. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's funny. That's, anyway. that's why you asked me about Sardis. What's the most like? He's probably busted. Oh, there's right? so much negative. Don't, don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's spiraling bad already. They said know. that someone went to the training and said there was like a massive sigh when he kicked it out in the fall in the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was open training. That's right. Can you imagine how deflating that would be for the poor kid yeah. as well? Like, far out. I thought he showed something last year. So I'm not yeah, oh, I too think, worried about I think him. he's. I think he's got um, the stuff that makes a good player for sure. It's just how quickly and um, how much he has to cop to get there, which is unfortunate. Yeah. 
Okay, moving on to some preseason reports. I'm going to read out just a line on each player that I've found. Some will be already known. So like my first point here is Young is playing inside mid or training for it. I guess we know that. But there's other stuff that you might not have seen or the listeners might not have seen. So I'm going to read everything out and then you can comment on, don't have to comment on everything or we'll be here all day. But yeah, just quick comment on anything that you might, that takes your interest. So yeah, Hayden Young playing inside mid. So Harry Sheasel has been playing basically everywhere in training. Bit of halfback, bit of half forward, bit of midfield. Ridley says he will play a similar role to last year. Might have to man up every now and then. This is an unofficial one, but Angus Brayshaw trained in defense with a non-contact cap. Obviously had the concussion issues last year or from Maynard. Chapman's done a bit of work on the wing and halfback. We saw JL say about training on the wing, but also yeah, halfback as well from training watchers. Zach Williams didn't train this week because he was sick. I don't think I needed to include that, but did anyway. <laughs> I, I would like, like to. <laughs> any chance like, you can. Yeah, I'd like to hear something. Uh, so apparently Marty Hall is having a good preseason and Gibkus is tracking well. Anything? Right. Right. There are some that. players that you absolute haters on. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see like certain Bailey Humphrey news, which has nothing to do with football performance <laughs> later on. Um, That's all right. No, the only so thing that, choices. I actually stumbled across the other night. Yeah, that's the thing that I'm referring to. So the only thing um, I wanted to quickly mention, because we are looking for some, you know, super secret breakout uh, picks, is Trent Rivers from the Ds as well. He's one that's apparently been training a little bit more midfield time. The quick look that I had the other night, he had quite good numbers as a junior, so that's potentially one to keep on your watch list as well. Yes, I think he's about 450K. But yeah, score 480, any- which is prices him out a little bit. I think he's cheaper in fantasy than he is super coach. It might be an option down there. But even if you're just a draft player, I think he's you know priced somewhere at the 85 average, but he could reasonably push up higher than that if he's got a mid-roll. Yep. So some midfield notes here. One that relates to Rivers, but uh Max Gorn said on a somewhere, he said, at least uh, Xavier Ellis said this today. Uh Gorn said Oliver has been facing significant issues the last so few weeks. Xavier Ellis said Gorn said Oliver has been yeah. facing issues. Okay. Yes. And now that you're listening to George say, it's actually George said Ellis. <laughs> well, <laughs> said Gorn said Oliver we, we has been struggling last few weeks. So this is top Got to facts, right? journalism. This is, yeah. Yeah. Fourth hand. Yeah. So you didn't, yeah, you heard it from me. Yeah. You heard it from, you heard it from anyway. So yeah, I'm quite worried about Oliver and how this plays out. Um, I don't know what to say. Obviously, unpickable at this stage. We also heard from um, Minnie Maguire, though, that he was back training at the club, just not with the main group, and he was looking to rejoin. I'm still optimistic he's actually back by round one. He might be a little bit under yeah. at that point, but I actually think there's a chance he'll be back in the side by then. Yeah, it's a bit of smoke there. Just We don't know exactly. It's a very blanket issue. Blanket. I don't want to say cover-up, but how they're phrasing it, medical issues. I actually like that they haven't gone into more detail. And I don't know if it sounds like reporters are purposely holding stuff back and good on them because if he is struggling as much as it seems, then they should be trying to protect him rather than you know lay lay the boot into him. Yep. Um, Bonton Pelly played match sim on Monday, but just ran laps on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So technically not full training, but better than last season. I don't know whether to be concerned with that or not. Uh, Sam yeah. Walsh. Look. I think slow start to the year is fine. Like Generally, we say if they've had surgery, uh, 
and they only rejoin at the start of this year, it's fine. So if he's already in full match sim, then I, like I think that's all right. He should be fine. Yep, there was a report. I think David King said Sam Walsh looks stronger. So that's pretty much all I've heard on Walsh. But yeah, I think Carlton supporters are very excited about him this year. Will Day obviously injured with the foot issue. The timeline is not certain. Uh, seems like he's a chance for round one though. So I don't know how we can like talk up like a Ward or Connor McDonald just yet if Day is going to be back early. So yeah, one thing to note. Steel looks to be moving better than last year, which is a good sign. Nick Martin's playing half back. Also, Amon training at half back. And around Amon, D'Ambrosio is training on the wing. And Weddle has spent time both on the wing and half back this preseason. And he's getting talked up. He is someone that apparently looks like he's going to take his game to another level, which is good because I love yeah. Weddle. He was great to watch last year. Yeah, excited for the Hawks will be very happy with him. Matt Crouch on him. Uh, Pedler and Rochelle are training with the forwards. They've done a little bit of center bounce work, but they're like with the forwards group. So that might heighten people's confidence in Crouch. Uh, Is there anything about where Sloan's playing this year? Because that was one uh, of the ones that took up CBAs last year that it's just like time to move He on. is a hammy at the moment. He's done his second hammy this preseason, which is pretty worrying. Mm, that sucks. Um, I hope he's out in the midfield because he can play good at on the wing or half forward, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really add what we don't have in midfield at the moment. But in his heyday, great in the midfield. Uh, Horn Francis and Rosie were rotating forward and mid with each other in match sim. And there was a puff piece on Horn Francis getting a proper preseason after having the surgery, I think it was behind his knees or calves or something last year. So which it was, down. Yeah, I think it was on his calves, but the incisions at the back of the knees, something like that. But it was yeah. to do with some type of syndrome where everything constricts and it basically made running really difficult for him. I actually feel like Horn Francis is one of those ones that's been forgotten a little bit just because he was picked as a breakout player last year, didn't really live up to it. But he feels like someone that, you know, another year removed from that type of surgery, if he gets to build his fitness base, he could reasonably take a step forward. He had something like 60% CBAs and less than 80% time on ground last year. If he gets up to that 75% CBAs, another 5 you know, 8% time on ground that he could take another step forward and be more consistent where we saw him fade out of games a fair bit last year. But I mean, I, I can't imagine anyone's picking him. It's just one of those ones I wouldn't be surprised if we look back in 12 months and go, wow, like Horn Francis went from a 78 to 100. Like that was a pretty good year. Also went overseas with Boak over the preseason. Mm-hmm. Always a good sign with Butters and Rosie doing that with him last year. Uh, Maybe he's the breakout whisperer and we just need to get folks yeah. take our favorites out in the offseason. He was in my team for like half a day <laughs> but, uh, after reading the article, but uh, I think he's just a bit, yeah, 450. You a bit were much. so easy. Oh, uh, if only we played like draft leagues against each other, I'd put out so much fake news that would get you sucked up. Like a, I'd start like posting fake Instagram photos, fake tattoos on players. Oh, it'd be oh, so man. easy to get you to trade me these guys. I just. Go, I just like lock myself up in like a jail cell for like the week leading up to round one. <laughs> I don't have to do anything stupid. I'd start photoshopping do, guys at like going Macca's drive through and stuff. You'd be so stuffed. Dude, in fantasy last year, I was up to 3 a.m. the night before and I put Baker and McGrath in defense and it just ended my season. That's another story. So yeah, I'm not doing that again. Yeah, uh, so okay. Cam, Cam Guthrie is fit, um, moving really well. 
Ward is training inside mid. Sanders has been in midfield drills and impressing. McCurch is playing half back, and Sharp has been smoking everyone in the running. So yeah, the only thing I wanted to mention on is like, does Day and Ward um, that like story feel reminiscent of Fife and Brody from two years ago? That thing's like giving me permanent PTSD where. It's like, oh, Fife's going to return early on in the year, so like, I'm not going to pick Brody because he's going to fall out of that role. Don't really rate Brody as a player, and sure enough, he played out the whole year and did really well, and Fife never really came back to it. I feel like Ward's the same type of player where I just don't rate as highly as others, uh, but could earn that role early, and if there's some type of you know, delay or with that injury, which is reasonable given that it's foot, like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just looking for things that aren't there. It just feels so eerie to me. We'll see how the Hawks CBAs play out. I don't think you can start any of them, though. Yeah. Or there might be one you can start. Connor McDonald. No. Oh. Jai. No, no, no. <laughs> ben. Ben. Okay. okay, we'll move on. Yeah. Did you see I've, the muscles I've, on him, though? I, yeah, like it's a preseason picture. All the players look good. Well, most of them. I got very close to banning the head of or heads of the giant Newcomb cult today in the Discord. It has popped up out of nowhere. And every time you cut off one head, it feels like two more posting pictures of that one preseason picture. If you haven't seen it, it's like him getting hit with a couple of bags. He's ducking through it and he just looks ripped in it, right? It's like very nice uh, shadowing and all that type of stuff. I cannot open Discord without seeing it. I feel like I'm getting trolled by Joe Newcomb. Don't pick him. It's not a pick. The funny thing is people keep asking. I think they're actually serious and not trolling. I, I know. They just keep asking every day. because of the. But picture. now people have seen know. me getting frustrated. I think yeah. they're now trolling as well, as the, which encourages more people to be serious. Oh, it's bad. Which made yep. me bring it up. But yeah. Anyway, um, Rockline is, so that, that was a midfield's. Uh, Rockline English still having lingering concussion issues, not doing any contact work. Hopeful he'll be back training pretty soon. Apparently, the quote work. was if it was round one, he'd be able to play. I think it was Ryan Daniels okay. or someone that said that. So it sounds like it's a very precautionary route, which is like I'm not that worried about it. If if they'd still play him anyway, it's just to make sure he's right for the year ahead. And at this point last year, he was having soft tissue injuries. So I feel like this is a step above that anyway in terms of season outlook for durability. Yep. Uh, Ron Marshall's in the rehab group. Darcy still limited training from the injury he had last year. Uh, Ivan Soldo has a finger injury. I think it's like a thumb one-month type injury. And I have not found anything on Sweet at all, apart from like he's been rocking, obviously, because Soldo's out. And mm-hmm. I found nothing on Conway. Trying to find stuff on Geelong players in preseason, like don't even bother. You can't find oh, anything. It's impossible. It doesn't seem like there's any track watches, the media articles are nowhere. Yeah, that is rough. That's a I mean, what else is there to do in Geelong? This is part of what we struggled with with picking Brun last year. There just wasn't enough info. Same with Bows. Like there's a chance Bows is a reasonable pick this year, but I just don't think we'll get enough preseason info. If there was one team to nominate to play round zero, it'd be Cats. Yep. Uh, forward line. So McRae has been in midfield drills, but it's like match sim. So there's six midfielders basically. So Daniel has been in there. Harms has been in there. Sanders has been in there. And Trelaw has been, uh, he's in limited training. He's like been doing laps and stuff, non-contact work, but I assume he'll be in there. Uh, so Daniel took kick-ins and played midfield in the same match sim. 
Liam Baker is playing midfield, I believe, or training there. Uh, Rochelle's mostly training forward. McDonald trained half forward one game, one training session. It's just like I haven't found much on McDonald midfield, but just yeah, spent time at half forward in the training. Mm-hmm. Fisher obviously playing half back. Um, they had the training where McKercher was in one team at half back and Fisher was in the other team at half back. Lynch is not in full training. Uh, Sardis is working hard on his kicking and he's improved his time trial. I think last year he finished near the bottom the or back of the pack. Obviously had the coming off the broken leg. Um, but he finished mid-pack this year. Harley Reid to half back. Darcy Wilson is a high chance for round one. And Toby Green says Aaron Cadman to have an impact this year. And the pictures I've seen of him, he looks like he's put on size as well. So that's good. Interesting to see if any mid-prices pop up at some point. Yeah. I mean, as we mentioned, the big news for the forward line, which you conveniently left off here, is that Fife is getting that midfield time, which is what we love to hear. Uh, But yeah, it's a little bit of a shame that some of the other mid-prices in the forward line we haven't heard a bunch about. So whether it's someone like a Billings... there is someone else that I had in my mind that has gone as well. But yeah, like those types Dev of Rob, players. Maybe. Yeah, Dev Rob's another one we haven't heard a ton about. Although I don't know if he had some setbacks in the preseason. I feel like Yeah, he's got like has. a wrist or hand issue from he got injured in the finals last year and he's still not training properly because of it. Yeah, yeah. So I just it's a little bit tricky with some of these cheaper guys because I'd like to be able to pick more of them. Oh, um Combin was one that we're excited about. I think he's had some setbacks as well. Elijah Hewitt was one that um, had been mentioned. He's got a hamstring injury, I want to say. It feels like everyone at West Coast has got a a soft tissue injury at the moment. Harms is another one we've heard a little bit about, but not a bunch. So, yeah, it's a little bit tricky because there's lots of guys in this forward line. Oh, James Jordan was one I was thinking of um, from this one as well. Lots of these guys in this 200 to 300K range that I think will end up shaping our forward lines and as a result, our teams, but haven't heard a ton on any of them yet. Uh, James Jordan was a second in the time trial, something like that. He was second in the time trial behind Goulden um, after return from Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Good memory. So that's the training reports. Might have missed a few things, but yeah. Well, next part, we'll have much more stuff because I dare say every night I come home and first thing I do is get dressed and then check training notes. Why, why aren't you dressed when you come home from work? Is there something you should... How did you pay for the hair transplant? <laughs> As in get home... Closer, it doesn't matter. Stick in whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, okay, feel like, I feel like trying to explain that made it worse. Yeah. Look, yeah. we have some questions from the Discord. Oh, we do uh, too. How would you like to share them? And look, I'm going to read mutes for later for Newcomb posts. Yeah. I'm going to read those out as we go. Actually, there's two others as well. Like Jai Cully looks like he'll come back a couple of months in, but I've heard conflicting reports with some saying he'll come back earlier. And then Finn McRae is another cheap one, which we've heard some positive signs about him in the preseason as whether he could get a role as well. So, yeah. Um, Denog asks, why will Liam Baker be pick of the year? He'll be pick of the year if that CBA role eventuates. Uze holds him in a position and he actually gets uh, a decent average off the back of that. The question here is, what's the maximum number of round zero primos you can put in your side? Have you got a maximum number, George? Five. I, I feel like the conversation we had earlier kind of um, is nuanced enough. It's not about having a maximum number. I think it's about balancing across the lines with those rounds yeah. and whether or not there's alternative picks against it. Um, is Gondi the ruck combo to go to? It sounds like if you go by Discord ownership, it is absolutely where we're leaning to at the moment. 
do you can you see yourself reasonably moving away from that combination, George, outside of you know injuries or anything like that? No. Uh, is Heath Chapman a trap? Mm, if you asked me a week ago, I would have said yes, but I don't think so anymore. Uh, so, do you think that uh, Wangyanin Malira and Sinclair cancel each other out, and could either and or both be starting picks or even pickups later in the year? Okay, so Masai Wangyanin Malira. For some reason, I kept tabs on this, but when he played away from Marvel or in the rain, he scored like not much. I think maybe he scored okay at MCG, but yeah, in bad weather or away from Marvel, like not nowhere near as good as Marvel. And they have the Marvel run coming up. And in terms of cancelling each other out, well, I think it depends on the split of Sinclair's mid and defence time. Maybe we get an indicator of that in the preseason, but I feel like he's been training more in defence. Uh, sorry, training more in the midfield is Sinclair. So maybe they give a bit more responsibility to Nasaya. For what it's worth, I'm picking neither. Do you have any thoughts on those two? I looked at um, Miller a little bit in fantasy as an option this year. I, I could reasonably see people interested in Sinclair. Like if they move away from the mid-time and the CBA seals having and he plays more defense, uh, I could see potentially a bit of upside in that. But at the same time with Miller improving year on year, I could also see them giving him more responsibility. Uh, he was already eating quite heavily into the kick-ins last year with Sinclair kind of sharing about 50-50 across part of the year. So I don't know. I, I feel like I, I don't feel like I'm going to get burnt by either of these players and I'm probably just happy to pick them up when the time is right. But yeah, Miller is someone that I did look at a little bit of fantasy. I may reconsider that as well. Uh, all right. Is Caleb Daniel a potential pick? Uh, potential, yeah. Well... That he can be moved around. So I'm a bit worried about that. So I probably avoid and keep an eye on it. Like yeah. honestly, it's like look at last year, got to six hundred K, looked like a nice pod and shit the bed. Yeah, as someone that owned Daniel for too much of the back end super coach and probably ruined a fair bit of my ranking as I was pushing for top one hundred. Uh there is no way I would touch him this year. I can't get a read on him and Bevo. Or I can't get a read on Bevo. I can get a read on Daniel. I can't get a read on Bevo. And I'm not a believer in never again lists, but if there was ever a case for it, it would be Caleb Daniel, I believe. So, yeah, I just I, I couldn't do it to myself. I don't think he'll be a pick. Yeah, uh, to, build on the round, to build on the round zero analysis, do you think if players in those buys are super high ownership, we can take on additional players in that buy round with less impact? So, for example, um, Flanders is, say Flanders is owned by 100% of, of players round one. Does that mean you can probably take on an extra player? You know, like, is it what the comp average is plus one is fine, I guess is kind of the question here. Um, I don't understand the question. So, when you're thinking about the number of round zero players that you want to start on your side, if... Lots of them have high ownership. Are you basically, you're able to take on more yourself. Okay. You're safeguarded kind of by the ownership. Okay, you, yeah, you sorry. Know, as long as you're not going too much outside of what the competition is doing, is that okay? Yeah, you explained yeah. that fine. I wasn't listening carefully. Um, 
I don't think you're giving up like I think you're giving up a lot of value in Flanders and a high ceiling. And I guess you're a little bit safeguarded. You might get 30 points back, but for what? You save a heap of money of what he can potentially do. So I, in Flanders' case, no. Maybe in a, like a midfielder's case, like a green or something, but obviously they, he won't have the ownership of Flanders. The high-owned buy plays, one would be Walsh you could take on. Mm-hmm. I think that's where you get a he'll have high ownership and you get some points back in round two. So it is a little bit of safeguard there. So in Walsh's case, yes. In Flanders' case, I don't think it's worth it. My answer on this will always be don't look at ownership percentage. It means nothing. Just pick the best players, uh, regardless of yeah, whatever like else the, doing. The only real time to look at ownership is like back end of the year when you're pushing for like a prize. Mm-hmm. Or as a tiebreaker on a pick that you have low conviction with, you might just go with the higher ownership one just because you don't want to define your season. But like that's basically it. Yeah. Uh, All right. Will Amon affect Sicily? Data says yes. Yeah. But there's also a game where Sicily got hard tagged by North and scored like 58, where if you take that out, it's like it didn't really affect him. So, and Sicily gets tagged. I'm confused. So I'm not 100% sure, but I think, I think. The rebounds will like you look at Hawthorne's halfbacks over the past few years. It's been it's been MP. It's been like Seamus Mitchell sort of halfback. Um, like a whole bunch of names like GF. A whole bunch of names have gone through there. It hasn't really been consistent, but none of them have had the volume that Amon saw in the back of the year. So I do think it'll eat into him a little bit. Do you think it will? Yeah, I, I have a feeling it will. I have a feeling, Will. I, I think uh, if you've got someone else that's taking kick-ins off him, which definitely was the case, and is another distributor out of halfback, especially when it comes to moving it faster, I think I think for sure. Yeah, they liked what um, Amon did and they wanted to get more of the ball in his hand as someone to slingshot it out. So, yeah, I, I think there's a chance that it does. I also think there's a chance that Sicily is just insane and can still go bigger anyway, even if Amon affects him. But, yeah, I, I, I believe it will. Uh, is oh, so going to follow up here is is Carl Amon a top three defender? I think you'd have to, it'd be very bold call to suggest that would be the case. Uh, what top three would have had to have been over one ten last year, and even the good part of um, Amon's back end last year didn't didn't have that. So I think there's a chance he's top six. I'd be surprised if he ended up top three. Uh, question here from old old mate Henry. It's just Laird with a question mark. So I guess um, any any love for Laird in the preseason? Less to do with Laird, more to do with age. Um, I don't like taking players with a regression risk at 650k. Yep. For example, like a Neil turned 30 last year, did not want to start him. He regressed as a player. Had the good patch in the middle of the year, dropped off at the end. Uh, it just seems risky to take. I guess Liber, sort of an exception, did have two years off, less miles in the legs with um, the two ACLs, but... I, I mean, just he see, also yeah. had McRae and Dunkley get moved out of the midfield, though. Yeah. I just see uh, Laird as slight regression risk. I'm not saying he will regress. I'm saying at that age, there's a reasonable chance it happens because it happens to most players at around 30, which he is. So, that, so yeah. I don't know if it'll be... I think he'll be around the top eight mark, though. So, I think it's okay, but it's just, yeah, as a general rule, I wouldn't pick a 30-year-old at 650k. Are you in a similar boat? Have you considered that at all? 
No, not really. I, I, he's obviously discounted compared to his best, but I think Crouch affects him. Um, so, yeah, I just find it hard to see that as being beneficial for him. Uh, all right, Ollie Wines is trading in the guts at only 463K. Anyone looking at him as an underpriced pick given he played majority wing last year? No, what Brownlow year did 110. Yep. It's a waste of time. I mean, and in his Brownlow year, it was him and Boak uh, as the two top CBAs with, you know, 80%, whatever it may be. He's now in a midfield with Horn Francis, number one pick, very highly touted. Rosie and Butters. Uh, Butters, you know, would have been close. Well, he was close to winning the Brownlow last year. I think he tied fourth, I want to say, with Goulden. So uh, even if he gets more CBA time, he still had 50% last year. Even if he gets up to 75%, do you see him going back to that 110 mark? I can't see it. So that's uh, I'm out on that one. Uh, could Marcus Windhager be a pick? So what, 320K defender mid, I want to say, for the Saints? Apart from a shirtless pick, I haven't really seen anything on Windhager. You've been Is he training? Do you know where stuff? he's training? I believe it is no actually i'm gonna guess I, I this is one of the ones that's been on my list of like is he training at half back or um more on the ball yeah i think uh i can't give you an answer for this because i don't know his role they have a lot of mids like they brought dow in steel crouch do they still play ross do they put owens in there i think always been training forward like philip who i'm guessing they'll give a little bit more minutes to so do they play Sinclair more mid? Maybe room for Windhager half back. Uh, yeah, it's just hard to see a path where he's like top three defender or I guess could be the third distributor. Um, but mm -hmm. yeah, there's not a clear path to like a high role, high volume role. So, so I believe, yeah, I believe he could be valuable depending on what role he ends up because that the position he was playing at the end of last year was what they settled on once Sinclair and Wangan Miller had landed more in defense, right? Uh, so he scored pretty well in that position. He tunned up, I think, for his first career ton uh, in those games as well. So I, I could see him going 85-ish. He's one that's been talked about as having a really good preseason along with Machido, I want to say. So... Yeah, I could con con reasonably uh, conceive that he continues to improve. And his price is brought down by some of those early games in the year where he was subbed or playing sub only had 15, 20% time on ground. So priced at 58, I could see him getting up to the 80s. I think he could be a pick for sure. Uh, it just may be that we have better options in defense. That means that he isn't necessary. Cherry is a stepping stone. I think that's yes. Like, do you see Cherry as being a keeper or is no he chance no. yeah yeah because ultimately he probably has to outperform what english grundy english grundy gone. roma gone yeah 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 even, and even someone like Ankovis, darcy Wicks. or wits which could return so yeah i find it hard to believe that he would be a keeper so yeah he'll i think he'll end up being a, a stepping stone uh, so there's a little bit of conversation around um, the idea of buy flipping primos after the early buys. So this would be, I presume, something like starting Tom Green, owning him for his first two games. When he gets to his buy, trading him to someone like Walsh coming off his buy or another primo that might have started well that you've missed. Uh, I think this is 
kind of something that the Supercoach Insider guys, shout out to them, um, floated as a potential strategy early on. Is this something you'd look at? To me, it feels like if we got an extra four trades and went up to 40, then yeah, this may be an option. But Lord have mercy if we go to 40. Uh, Not really. I feel like trades are better used. Yeah, I I do wonder if like, can I set up a scenario? Day costs is 700K. It's about to get fin magged and have a buy. Do you sell? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would. I mean, if if Sam Mitchell's coming out and saying like, yeah, we're going to tag him into the ground, like he is going to be up his rear end all day. Yeah, why not? I think I think you could. It just it depends as well on where the rest of your team's at. And this is always the hard part with planning trades before the season's even started. What if you have to do corrections? What do you have, if you have other injuries, all that type of stuff? You can get yourself into a pretty bad situation where you back yourself into the corner where you feel like you had to trade this player, but you also have other things going on and you can miss other yeah. options as a result. So uh, I think it's something that feasibly could work. But what we've seen in past years is where teams miss out on the most points is in the like round 12, 13, 14, 15 buys, that range. That's where teams aren't fielding enough premiums. They may not even be fielding 18. So if I'm going to use trades to sideways, I'm going to get more bang for buck at that time of the year, most likely than at round five or six when I should be focusing on upgrading my side. So maybe a green Walsh, that type of really early buy round, I could see something like that working for one trade of the year. But if I'm going to be buy flipping, it'll be later on. I don't think it'll be there. Yeah, like a Matt Crouch, for example, plays the last buy. Good flip, all going well, but yeah. These things never seem to go to plan. Uh, okay, <laughs> I don't understand this question. Are you guys willing to sell FTTV if Luke Beveridge is sacked? I don't think there'll be any buys. We need a cricket soundboard. I, I don't know. I think that was meant to be a joke. I'm not sure. For $100,000. All right. So we've already touched on this, but is it viable to start all three of Nick Martin, Amon, and Crouch? Mm, if you think they're all good, then yeah. But I think you'd hedge and even two is kind of risky. I, so I, I probably the, wouldn't. Yeah. The hard part is, and this is what I was kind of going with this defenders a little bit, is Martin and Amon, you're picking them to get defender status in round six and then moving them back as keepers. But if you've got um, Martin, Amon, Young, and then you're also overlaying like, Dacos, Sicily, Stewart, Sinclair. It just feels like, I don't know, it, it feels hard that all of these end up being keepers and worthwhile. It could be the case, but um, I'm not sure. Uh, full take on Nick Martin. You already mentioned you don't have too much on him. I think he's one of those players where if he was given a Dacos style role, he could easily average over 100 and be very much worthwhile to pick. But we don't have enough information to say that's what they're doing. Um, Essendon, of of course, has other distributors in Ridley and Redmond and you know even McGrath to a lesser extent. But if you look at where Essendon's had the biggest challenges over the last year, it is really around transitioning out of defense with us playing too slow to chip mark rather than taking the game on. It's probably one of the biggest changes that Carlton made over the back half of the year, that, which really saw them uh, succeed is to go a little bit faster and take the game on rather than playing as slow and controlled as what they do and what Essendon did. So if they're bringing him in to actually open the game up and take it on and they want to use him like a Martin, like a uh, Doherty may not be the right uh, comparison, but those types of plays, it could end up being a really fruitful role where he goes 
you know, even as high as 110, I could see is reasonable. But we actually need to see that this is what they're trying to do and it's not just, you know, mucking around. So, yeah. Uh, all right. Thoughts on the 500K mids. Walsh took Steel Newcomb. I think we've already covered Walsh. Um, just want to quickly touch on took steel and newcomb as whether you're actually considering starting any of these and what you'd need to see for them to be in consideration no 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 okay very good i like i, I believe steel will have some sort of a bounce back though that's it that's all i have to say all right uh can you talk about the discussion on Martin, Amon, and Crouch. Obviously, very popular conversation in the court at the moment and around how Amon and Martin are probably better picks due to it being easy to be a top six defender than a top eight midfielder. Is this the right way to think about these picks, Jones? Um, I just look at the numbers from last year. So Crouch 108 in the midfield, Amon 109 with Sicily, and that's sort of what I'm hoping for. Now, does that fall into a keeper bracket? Well, I'm hoping to like get extra points by flipping Crouch. So there's a chance, you, and there might be a world where I like blow all my trades and have to keep him. So it's sort of a full safe there. So that's sort of how I view it. Not so much like are they going to be keeper or not? Just kind of hopeful they will be. If not, we'll deal with it when it comes. But their value. Uh, a hard-hitting question here. What is your favorite Pokemon and why? Oh. Um, no, this is the most My favorite color is orange. My favorite color is orange because Dragonite and Raichu are my two favorite in Gen 1. But I like uh, Suicune and Gliscor. They're my two favorites now. Okay, very good. Um, who's the most current popular pick you're thinking to fade? Walsh. From the conversation so far, yeah, I could have imagined you saying Walsh or LDU. It doesn't sound like you're in on e either of those nearly as much as um, others are. For me, you can probably also guess it's um, likely one of those defenders that is quite highly owned at the moment, um, whether it be Dacos, Sicily, Stewart, those types, uh, or potentially gone as well. Are there any picks popular in Discord that you think are being overrated? I feel like this is a, kind of another way of... Um, asking the same question. Do you feel like there's anyone else that's that's quite highly overrated at the moment? And are there any picks yeah. that you see as being commonly ignored or written off um, that, that, you know, basically are undervalued? Um, in terms of overrated, I think LDU and Fisher. Uh, underrated, um, underappreciated. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think Green, even with the bike, could be more owned. Mm. I guess that's why people aren't picking him. I dare say he'd be like 80 plus percent without the buy. I don't know. We, Any uh, you? No, not, not that I can think of. A lot of the guys that will end up being underrated are just ones that we find out better information as the season goes on. Um, maybe someone like Cherry feels really underrated to me at the moment, given the, what we've seen out of him in the past, but there's no one that I would do. Or Chapman, that was quite lowly owned. But yeah, there's no one that's obviously um, undervalued, I don't think. Uh, thoughts on Dan Houston? Nah. I don't really have any thoughts. Probably be a decent pick, but a bit more um, bit more proven other guys out there. 
All right, this is a long one, uh, so bear with me. General advice on picking keepers at their most valuable price versus letting the teams with those top primos pull away. Most of the primos I got in upgrade season last year, I traded for them when I believed it was killing my rank, not only owning them, only to trade for them all at their top price, just for them to drop in the weeks after trading in. So I think this comes back to pretty common advice that I preach, which is not to trade in guys at their top price or when they're really killing it because it doesn't persist for most of the year. If it does and you get killed, so be it. George um, is a fantastic learning case for this most years. Was it last year or the year before that you traded in Gorn after he'd gone bonkers to start the year only for him to drop off a cliff? He got injured too. Yeah, but he paid something like 700K. Yeah, because Naismith went down and I think I uh, had to like... It must have been 2022. Week. That's right. I had, had like... one week pivot to pit in it and the guy scored 30 and quarter went 200 and that uh, oh, was off she yes. I can. I found it. So there was a four-week stretch where he averaged 146. In round seven, he scored 172 and you must have traded him that week because then the next week he played the Saints and scored 82 and then yeah. West Coast 73 and then North 89. Beautiful. Um, so... Yeah, don't don't trade in guys at the top price. You're still looking for value even in the trades throughout the year uh, for the most part. Still trying to find guys that are discounted that'll end up being top eight. And those are where the best picks are. Um, Zach Merritt's been a, a classic example from previous years where um, others may be trying to trade in top price guys, but if you're actually searching that value, you end up with a better team in the long run. How much does a premium need to score uh, than what he's priced at to be considered a value pick? It's a good question. Above his How much price. upside are you looking at? Above his price and around like top 10 or 12% of their position. Yeah, I think uh, if even if you're getting just five or 10 points of upside, but they're moving into the top of top six, eight, whatever it is, their position it ends up being a, a good value pick. Um, if they're not going to end up, you know, top or close enough to the top, then I think that that number has to increase pretty significantly. If they're just going to end up being a stepping stone, you have to trade them at some point. You're looking at probably 100K value plus. It's interesting last year because we had a fair few of these guys in the midfield, uh, Hopper, Setterfield, Warpool, all for example. And I don't think any of them really hit the 150K mark, but you wouldn't have said they were failed picks. So it's probably not that full amount that we've um, seen in the past, as long as the money that you reinvest elsewhere in the team is worthwhile. But yeah, it's a, a rough rule of thumb. Order these plays in terms of must-have by, say, round six. Bontempelli, English, Dacos. Bont one, Dacos two, English three. Uh, why English three? Given that he, I think he averaged the most out of had, three. And you even year, flip right? him. If you go Grundy, I guess if you have Cherry, then probably English is high priority. But I think if you have Gorn Grundy, I think you just ride it and then worry about them once you get the rookies off the field. Mm-hmm. Dacos will end up being D1 unless injury happens. And I mean, it'd be hard to see Bont falling out of the top top eight mids, right? Yep. All right. Uh, and then last question is, at this stage, are uh, this season's rookie slash low-priced options, say 250K or below, better than what we had last year in 2023? I think so. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. So, some I might not get named, especially in defense, like a Hall and Caulfield. And then like mid-bench, I'm not too sure on. And forward bench, I'm not too sure on either. But there's a few good ones like McKercher, Sanders. 
sharp. A lot of them have a lot of good potential. Potentially, yes. Just depends whether they play or not, like Finn McRae, Lazaro, etc. This goes on. Anything else to add? Uh, I feel like the answer is yes in this. I'm looking at um, my final team from last year and it still has like Constable and uh, Davey in, in the side who end up just being bench fodder for most of the year. So I don't know. I get the feeling that there is a lot of players I like both on the field. Um, you know, we kind of mentioned Reed could be a keeper. McKercher is in that she's a role who went 100 last year. Uh, you've got Sanders as well, who looks like he'll have a spot in the dog's midfield with Baseline Kraut. Caulfield, I like as a mature age guy. Like, there's lots of people here that I'm quite excited about as options. Uh, and then on top of that, we've got players like Zach Williams, who's an absolute bargain. You've got Billings, who's potentially a really great pick as well, Chapman, uh, and and others. So, yeah, I, I think I'm quite excited about this crop. I think rookies aren't that bad. Um, the spot where it seems to be softer for me is in the 250 to 450 range where I felt like we had much better options last year. That feels like a bit of a dead zone as of right now. That may change as the preseason continues. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I feel like the rookies is, is pretty pretty decent. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sweating it too much at the moment. Yeah, I think so too. All right, so we... Cut NO, but managed to add probably another half hour to the pod. Is there anything else that you wanted to cover before we sign off on this lovely Thursday evening? No, it's good to talk again. Good to talk super coach. Um, yeah, okay. I've been pretty slight with content, which is weird because I've been like researching like mad, probably like more than previous years. And the plan was to not research as much, but here we are. But uh, no, nothing much to add. Looking forward to the new rules, if there's any. And yeah, not too far away now for Supercoach. So I just hope I don't mess the team up too much before round one and we should be sweet. I, I feel like, that? yeah, I feel like 24 hours out, you should be handing your password over to like myself and Eno and you'll have to yeah. submit change requests so we we don't let you fuck up your side. Yeah, I think something physical restraining might be <laughs> might be a bit, a, consist, a bit more reliable method, but yeah, we'll see. I'm keen. I'm keen for this year. Disappointed about how round zero pans out, but I think it adds a bit of strategy, which is not the worst. Yeah, we'll see. Ho- I mean, yeah, hopefully the AFL fixes it for for next year, but I get the feeling they won't. Uh, we can wrap it up. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Good to be back, and yeah, we'll see you shortly. Peace.